All right. Well, um, I'm very uh, excited to be able to share with you this evening. And first of all, I want to thank you for uh, praying for me when I went um, on my trip to Nashville, Tennessee. I, I was very humbled by uh, the level of support, both prayer and financial-wise, that I received from the saints here. And so I just want to say thank you. Um, it's been a very smooth transition for my family to move here to the Northwest Gospel Hall. And we've known many of you for many years. We're very thankful to be a part of the family um, here at Northwest and hope to continue to be so for uh, years to come. Um, as we begin, I just want to let you know that this is kind of a continuation of a series that I begun um, probably two years ago or more on the Hall of Faith. And if you're interested in listening to any of the other messages, you can go to my website, speakingforhim.com, and either stream or download the audio from there. That's speakingthenumberforhim.com. And uh, we started out way back when with the story of Abel, who gave him more excellent sacrifice. And now we are, and we went through Noah, and we are now working our way through the story of Abraham. And I just want to start here by reading a few verses in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we will go to our main text, which is actually in Genesis chapter 17. I also have some cross-references uh, that I will call out uh, over the course of this message, and when I do that, I like to have people from my congregations that I speak to look up the cross-references and read them. Number one, it makes it easier for me, and number two, it keeps you awake. So, I would uh, hope that you would get your page turning fingers ready and be prepared for that. But let's read, first of all, from, Luke, from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Let's open in order of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we um, realize that as we read these passages, we are humble to think about these men and women of faith who have gone before us, and we thank you for recording their stories. We thank you um, that we can learn lessons in their triumphs and lessons in their flaws. And we pray tonight that as we open your word, that we would be able to put ourselves in the text and trust you to fulfill your promises to us. For you are the only one who 
is 100% a promise keeper. And it is because of the fact that you are a promise keeper that we are here tonight. If you were not a promise keeper, we would all be lost. But because you keep your word, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Never to be unredeemed. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17, verse 1. And, you know, there's a lot in the, in the life of Abram slash Abraham. And every time I think, well, maybe I'll skip this story because it's a long, his whole story is a long story. I realize that God has things to teach us. So even though it seems like a long study, I have greatly benefited from studying for these sermons on the Hall of Faith. And my prayer and hope is that you will benefit from hearing some of what the Lord has taught me. And of course, if you have any observations after the message, I'd be more than willing to hear them and listen to them. Because, as I often tell my audiences, what I have to say is of very little importance. But when I committed to be a preacher of the gospel many years ago, I committed to the fact that what God has to say is of the utmost importance. So I would encourage you, as you listen to uh, this message, that you would then go home after you've taken notes, that you would search the scriptures as the Bereans did, and that you would prove whether the things that I have to share are sound. With that, I want to just let you know that today we're talking about God's covenant with Abram. Now if you remember, in in Genesis chapter 15, God came to Abram and he said, One day, you're going to have an heir. And Abram... You know, he's trying to trust God, but he uh, is like, I'm not sure about this. Well, God comes back to him in Genesis chapter 17 and reaffirms this. So let's read the first seven verses as we look at point number one, which is God reaffirms his covenant with Abram. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abraham was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be the father of many nations, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. 
And there, there's a lot here. But let's start with this first verse. Often, especially in our culture today, once you re re reach your late 60s or early 70s, you pursue retirement. Now, this means different things to different people. I know especially for my grandpa, at least up until the last couple of years, he always told me he worked harder after he retired than he ever did when he was working his job. I also have become to firmly believe that at least as far as spiritually speaking, God never speaks of retirement. He has a place and a job and a mission for every person who is his redeemed, who is still breathing air. I often tell the saints over at the uh, Rust Haven home that they may not even realize who they have an opportunity to impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rust Haven is a Christian company. But that doesn't mean that every employee that comes through those doors has a relationship with the living, risen Lord. And so when the residents have an opportunity to interact with the employees, they have an opportunity to share their love for the Lord. Our society says that when you get old, you're no longer useful. God turns that paradigm on its head. If you remember Moses, when he was 40, he left Egypt. When he was 80, God came to him in a burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. 80 years old. Again, a time when most people would say, you're done, move to Florida, enjoy your retirement years and ease. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place necessarily for that, but what I am saying is that God has a purpose for every day that you live. And so he's talking to Abram at 90 and 9, and he says, I am the almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. Now, of course, we know that we are in ourselves cannot be perfect. You will see as we go through this covenant that the majority of it is what God is doing for Abram because Abram can't do for himself. As a matter of fact, the first time God brings up the covenant, he has Abram cut up the calf, kill some birds, put them, or, or kill the sacrifice. And then he puts Abram in a trance. And he walks through the covenant and he says, I'm going to fulfill it. Because Abram is a flawed person. And even after his name is changed to Abraham, we'll find out a few chapters later that his flaws are not over. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. And he says, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face 
And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And keep in mind, at this point, Abram and Sarah, they have no children. And they've already, he's already posed two possible heirs to God. Actually, one being Eliezer, his chief steward. And he's going to mention Ishmael in this passage. But God says, no, this heir is going to come from you and Sarah. Because I told you that that's what I was going to do. And indeed, it is. And he says, you will be the father of many nations. And then something significant happens in chapter, in verse 5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Again, God will often speak in what he sees will be our future, not what he sees will be our present. Remember when he came to Gideon. And Gideon is thrashing wine in the wine press. And he says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, God, I'm hiding in a wine press, threshing my wheat because I don't want it to get stolen by the Midianites. And you're calling me a mighty man of valor? But again, we see God reaching out and saying, This is your future if you follow me. And we know that he did great things through Gideon. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. You know, he promised Abram land. He, when Abraham and Lot were fighting, or their, their servants were fighting over the land, he showed Abram the whole land and he said, all of it's yours. This is a promise I'm making to you. But with all the material possessions, the material wealth that he gave Abram, perhaps the greatest treasure of this covenant was when God said, I will be a God unto you and to your seed after you. Can you imagine having such an intimate relationship with God as Abram did, that God was saying, this is how I'm going to unfold my plan. Jesus said something similar in John chapter 15 to us. He says, you are no longer called servants, but you are called friends, because a servant does not know what his master does, but a friend knows everything. Because everything my father has told me to tell you, I've told you. And in thinking about this covenant, I can't help but think about the New Testament covenant that God made with us. If someone could look up Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 13, Ephesians 1, 11 to 13, these verses deal with the New Testament covenant and what is the promise of that covenant. 
And we will, as we go through this passage, we will look at the one of the signs of the Old Testament covenant. But this passage we're going to read right now deals with the sign of the New Testament covenant. So does someone have that passage? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. Okay. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, God is telling us at this point through the Apostle Paul that we received the seal of the Holy Spirit when we believe. That because we trusted, we were washed in the blood, and we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is why I cannot believe with those in the Christian circles who believe in the lack of eternal security. My brothers and sisters, if my salvation were up to me, I would lose it every day. I am an imperfect person. I fail. But I was sealed. You know, once you, once you seal an envelope, you can rip open the seal, but you can't use it again. We don't seal an envelope unless it's going to say sealed until the point when it will be open. The seal of the Holy Spirit, the promise that the Holy Spirit gives us, is firm and in place until we don't need it anymore because we will be in the presence of God at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Until then, we are sealed with a covenant and a promise, if we truly believe. Now, I do believe that there is a problem in many of our Western culture churches of easy believism. Of just say this prayer and then you'll be saved. Walk this aisle and then you'll be saved. It's significant in the book of Acts, when Peter preached... He didn't say, who wants to come forward and be saved? No, his message was from the Holy Spirit and with such fervor and such conviction that the people who were listening without Peter giving an altar call, they said to him, what must we do? Because his words cut them to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized and you will be saved. See, he didn't have to give an altar call. Because the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I just wanted to read this observation about covenants. And it says this, In modern times, we define a host of relations by contracts. They are usually for goods or services and for hard cash. The contract, formal or informal, helps to specify failure in those relationships. 
The Lord did not establish a contract with Israel or with the church. He created a covenant. There is a difference. Contracts are broken when one of the parties fails to keep his promise. If, let us say, a patient fails to keep an appointment with a doctor, the doctor is not obligated to call the house and inquire, where were you? Why didn't you show up for your appointment? He simply goes on to his next patient and has his appointment secretary take note of the patient who failed to keep the appointment. The patient may find it harder the next time to see the doctor. He broke an informal contract. According to the Bible, however, the Lord asks, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Isaiah 49.15 The Bible indicates the covenant is more like the ties of a parent to her child than it is a doctor's appointment. If a child fails to show up for dinner, the parent's obligation, unlike the doctor's, isn't canceled. The parent finds out what the child, where the child is and makes sure he's cared for. One member's failure does not destroy the relationship. A covenant puts no conditions on faithfulness. It is the unconditional commitment to love and to serve. And that's Bruce Shelley. So then our second point in Genesis 17, 8-14 is God is going to do some outlining of his expectations for this covenant. So the second point is God outlines the covenant. Let's look at verses 8-14 to 14 of Genesis 17. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger in the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, and thy seed after all their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, Every man child in your generations, he that is born in thy house, or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. <clears throat> he that is born in thy house and bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh is foreskin is not circumcised. That shoal shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And so God is telling Abraham, you need to have your everyone in your household circumcised. Whether they were born in your household, whether you bought them as a slave, however they came to be in your household, they need to be circumcised. That is the sign of my covenant with you. It's a physical sign. And then of course the church in Acts, some of the Judaizers said you need to be circumcised to be saved. And Paul and some of the others said no. It's not a necessity. That was an Old Testament sign. Again, when someone is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that is the sign of the New Testament covenant. And so that is the requirement for the New Testament believer. There's actually only 
I think, three or four different prohibitions. If I remember them correctly, they went something like this. To abstain from sexual immorality. To not eat uh, meat strangled in blood. And uh, I'm not sure what, what the other ones were, but it was a very short list. And some people today will, will try to add to them. Some people today try to be Jews even within their Christianity. And they just add a yoke to them that, that, that even they can't bear, that they're asking other people to do. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of what Jesus... Because Jesus said that to the Pharisees. He said, he said, you're asking the people to take on a burden that you yourself are not able to handle. And you're missing the point. They often got the letter of the law right but they missed the heart behind it constantly. It was a problem that they had on a repeated basis. But in this particular case, this is what God says to Abraham. And I find it interesting that he says in verse 8, once again, he says, I'll give the land unto thee wherein you are a stranger of the land of Canaan. But then he says again, I will be their God. So again, emphasizing the most important part of this covenant is that God would be the God of Abraham. And he's still known as the God of Abraham. Today, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Still today. If it were up to them, and as you study through this, the annals of this history, you'll find that each and every one of those men was extremely flawed. And if the covenant was up to them, it would have been dropped a long time ago. But our God is a covenant-keeping God. And my friends, if I could digress just slightly, I want to say this. That when we are looking at marriage, we need to look at it as a covenant. It's not a contract that one of us can walk away from if we feel tired of it. That's what the world sees. That's what the world does. And they see the church doing that in increasing numbers as well. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage says that if I, no matter what happens to my spouse, or how they treat me, I'm going to give 100%. Marriage is a 100% to 100% deal. A 50-50 deal, that's divorce. Marriage is 100 and 100. And we desperately need marriages that are built on the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. We desperately need that example. I'm thankful for so many in my life that have been that long-standing example. Some here are now widowed. But when they had their wives with them, I saw them live out a godly marriage. And I thank them for that. Thinking more about the covenant and God's will for our covenant, can we look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12? Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12.
chapter 2, 11 and 12? That's correct. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Again, we see this picture in the New Testament of Christ taking our sins and giving us perfection and sealing us with this circumcision that is not made with hands. Because he circumcises our hearts. He takes our hearts of stone and puts in their place hearts of flesh. Alright, well, this third point is also very important. The third point I have, the final point I have tonight, is God makes it clear that His way is above man's way. If there's an interesting... If there's one interesting thing about the life of Abram and Abraham, it is that this is one of the first men to be called a friend of God. God told him certain things that he didn't tell anyone else. We will find um, as the chapters go on that he's going to talk to him directly about Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he's like, how can I withhold from Abraham the thing that I'm going to do? Because Abraham has that kind of relationship with God. And yet we see a flawed man. A man who lied about his wife being his sister. Because he was afraid she would be taken. And ironically, she was taken. And then... uh, we see him jump ahead of God and have a child with Hagar. Something we've already covered in a previous message if you go back and listen to it. So this is what it says in Genesis chapter 17 verses 15 to 21 about God's way. <clears throat> And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give thee a son of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael may live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begot, and I will make him a great nation." But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time next year. 
And we've just had this, this great thing God has been telling Abraham as he's laying all this out. He's like, this is what I'm going to do for you. And he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then he tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a child with Sarah. And Abraham doubts. Even this great man of the faith. Have you ever doubted God? Have you ever had times when you just felt like you knew something was going to happen, but it was taking a long time to happen? You know, from the first time that God promised Abram a son, it was about 25 years till when it actually happened. So when he's 75 years old, he gets this first inkling that he's going to have a son. That's already old. I mean, you know, by then, you should be a grandpa or a great-grandpa. But God had told him this. And now, he's 99, closing in on 100, and God says, no, you'll have a son. And it'll be within the next year. And Abram, even after he hears this, Abraham after he hears this, he says, oh, that Ishmael could live before you. Think about this. First he says, you know, a couple chapters ago, he says, Eliezer, he's my chief steward. He's like a son to me. Let him be my heir. And God says no. So then he says, okay, let Ishmael stand before you. And this is one of the greatest myths one of the greatest confusing things in all of Scripture to me, because he goes on to say that I'm going to bless Ishmael. Twelve tribes will come out of him, much like Israel. He's going to be a great nation. But he's not going to be my chosen people. And as a matter of fact, the nations, or the people that Ishmael begot, and the people that Israel begot are still fighting to this day. A lot of times we think that if we make a decision, it's in a bubble. Most of us probably will not affect world circumstances the way Abraham's decision did, but it is a sobering reminder to us that the things that we Decide upon today affect our future generations. I'm going to be really honest with you right here and tell you that I resonate a lot with Abraham. I believe that God has not created me to be alone. I believe that he intends for me to be married. But it would be easy for me, in a certain sense, to 
be so desperate and be looking and looking and find a girl who will be willing to live with me. But if it's not the right one, then it could be a situation like Abraham and Hagar. Because see, God had promised him a son. And so Sarah's like, I still haven't given you any children. I don't think I can. So let's go this route. And it was culturally acceptable in that day. So they did it. Which brings up another interesting and good point. Please do not mistake culturally acceptable for morally acceptable. Just because other people are doing it, and even just because other Christians are doing it, does not mean that it's necessarily something we should do. And I understand that legalism is a thing. I understand that you can get too caught up in doing the letter of the law. But I also think that sometimes legalism is just used as an excuse to not do what we maybe should do. The Bible says that we are to come out from among them and to be a peculiar people. To be different. Not to blend in as we are so often tempted to do. And so, even after all this has been laid out, Abraham laughs at God and says, God, let Ishmael live before you. And he says, no. Sarah's going to give you a son. And I will make of him a great nation. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time next year. And I find it interesting. I don't want to get... Too far ahead of things because if I, Lord willing, get asked to speak again, we will go forward to Genesis chapter 18 and read about the Lord Himself coming to Abraham to reinforce this promise. He had already said to Abraham, I'm going to do this in the next year, but He then reinforces the promise. You see, if I was God and Abraham laughed at me, I would have just packed up my bags, so to speak. And said, you know what? I'll find another leader. I'll find another friend. One who's more devoted. But you see, he knew that Abraham was dust. And he was patient with Abraham. The lesson for us here is that while we are to pursue perfection, God is not looking for perfection as much as he is humility. Because if you look all through scripture, you won't you only find one perfect person. And that's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Why? Because he was born of a virgin. Why was that so important? Because in order for him to be born without sin, he could not be influenced by the seed of his father his earthly father, Joseph. He had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
brought into the world as a perfect human being and yet 100% God. And his own brothers struggled with this. We know later on that James and Jude became followers of Jesus and wrote uh, very important epistles that we read today and glean wisdom from. But you know what's interesting? James doesn't address himself as the brother of Jesus when he writes his epistle. What does he say? He says, the bondservant of Jesus. Now, I don't know if, if James and Jesus' earthly parents were, were like our parents, but sometimes parents can get a little frustrated with one sibling and say, can't you be more like them? I wonder if they ever had this conversation, can't you be more like Jesus? I don't know if they did. It's not in the text, so you don't want to belabor the point. But, but I can only imagine how intimidating in a way it must have been to grow up with Jesus. But at some point, his brothers realized that he wasn't just another member of their family, but that he was who he said he was, the great I am. The one who was not even 50 years old, and yet he knew all about Abraham. And he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Remember, God comes to Abraham and he says, I will bless you mightily and many and all nations of the world will be blessed because of you. And that includes you and me. We're blessed because of Abraham's seed. Because out of Jacob's son Judah came the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. And again, I won't say much more about Genesis 18 yet, but I just want to say this. That God knew Abraham's weaknesses. He knew that he constantly needed to be reaffirmed. That God knew what he was doing. And just as he knows that Abraham needed to be reaffirmed, he knows that you and I need it. And he is constantly willing and able to say to us, I've got this. I know the plans that I have for your future. And I know what I'm doing. Trust me. I would ask that you would pray for me. That I would trust the Lord. Especially in the area that I have just mentioned to you. That you would pray that, that God would prepare me and whoever that other person is. So that when the time is right, we can come together and Glorify God together and turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ as the apostles did. Because we're living in a time that is dark and we need to shine brightly. Our marriages need to be examples of the relationship between Christ and His church. Husbands need to love their wives. 
as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And wives need to reverence their husbands and everything. People don't like to hear things like that. But you want to know why our world is in chaos? Because we as a people do not know what we were created for. And it's time that we get back to God's blueprint because God created us and so He knows what He made us for and what will fulfill us the best. And that is to do the work that He has sent us to do. My hope and prayer for you is that you will learn as I have to trust God that He knows what He's doing. And I, I need daily prayer for this because some days I wake up and I don't want to trust God. Sometimes I wake up and I say, God, I thought you were moving on this. I thought this door was open and now it's not. And it, it wasn't what I thought. But I heard this statement over and over again and not too long ago. I heard it again. It said, if no doors appear to be open, make sure you're praising God in the hallway. Wherever we are, we need to praise God. I just want to close with a final cross-reverence. And I think I... I'm just going to read this one to us because I think it puts a nice capstone on what we've been studying. This one's from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking to his followers. And we're going to start with verse 8 of Matthew chapter 7. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son has bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he has fish, will he give him a servant? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him. And as we see in the life of Abraham and in the lives of so many of these other heroes of the faith, for all their flaws, they still knew what it was. To see God work mightily in their lives. And if Abraham can see God work mightily in his life with all of his failures, then God can work mightily in my life. And he can work mightily in your life. And don't just assume that because you're in your 70s or 80s, God's plan is over. If you are breathing air on this planet, He has more work for you to do. My question to you is, will you do it?
Will you be faithful to the call? He will be faithful to you even in your doubts. And sometimes, as with Abraham, God calls you to do something. He creates an impossible situation to where you have no way of doing it. Then he does it through you anyway, and he receives the glory for it. And that is my prayer for myself, and that is my prayer for each and every one of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for these saints, and I just thank you for the opportunity to share with them from the life of Abraham. Uh, Lord, we've just scratched the surface, and we have more to study but how exciting is it to see you working through this man who was not perfect, but he loved you. And he cared about what you said, and he believed you. And you said in your word that he wasn't counted righteous because of his works. He was counted righteous because he believed you, and you counted it to, to, to him for righteousness. In much the same way that a sinner here tonight, if they have not yet received you as Savior, can call out to you and ask you to save them, and you will, because it's your promise. And believing you is all that it takes to have eternal salvation. Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here that hasn't believed you, that they would do so tonight. And if there are some discouraged tonight who have believed you, but have strayed from the path a bit, maybe put themselves kind of in the driver's seat as we all tend to do from time to time, that they would come to you and that they would repent and that they would, like Abraham, trust even in the midst of their unbelief. I pray that you would bless them and keep them Pray that your face would shine upon them and that you would give them peace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.